All right, our text this morning is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, and I believe that's on page 884 or somewhere close to there in your pew Bible, the the black pew Bible. Please do bring your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, uh, take one of those black pew Bibles home for free. No one will look at you strange. Um, as you're turning there, a reminder, you know, we, there are witnesses, multiple witnesses, but there's also four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, who provide different details, different angles, different vantage points. They bring with them, inspired of God, different personalities uh, and emphases and themes as they, uh, as they unpack the life and the story of Jesus. And, uh, and Luke has his own perspective. That's where we're studying. We have been um, for a few uh, years now in, uh, in the spring. has been our custom after New Year's going into the spring. So like I said, we're on, uh, uh, we're on page 884, and the text is chapter 23. Um, as you're turning there, how many of you watch uh, late night TV? Uh, not, not that not that many. Thank you. Some of you. I, I, I would like to. I just cannot stay up that late. I'm at a weird season of life where my children go to bed before I do. And uh, so if I want to watch, you know, like uh, one of them that I enjoy watching is uh, Jimmy Kimmel has these hilarious clips uh, called uh, Lie Witness News. Anyone seen Lie Witness News? Not, not, not Eyewitness News, but Lie Witness News. He'll send a, uh, a, a, you know, a camera crew and a fake journalist TV person out onto the streets of different major cities. And they, they just put a camera right up in someone's face and they say, you know, hey, what's your take on, on this? And they'll, they'll talk about some major you know, world news event or an, an election or a, a, you know, something of controversy. And, and, they'll, and people will just, just boldly yes, agree and, and, and like start telling a whole story surrounding that. It's, it's remarkable. One of them that was... Uh, was up there was, what do you think about the U.S.'s involvement in Zamunda? Uh, and, uh, and well, th- that's not a country. Of course, people are like, well, I, you know, I, I don't know that I agree. And, and then they go into detail. I saw one last year. It was the Winter Games. Of course, this is an interview that they're doing on the streets of, I don't know, Hollywood or wherever it is. And they're asking people, what did you think about the opening ceremonies? Which haven't even happened yet. And so Live Witness News... The, the number of people that said things like, it was stunning. I mean, the, the, the explosion of colors, it was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. Oh, and by the way, the interviewer, this fake journalist says, what did you think about the new power boarding? You know, the, the Elon Musk, you know, electric powered snowboards. What did you think of it? Now, that was some cool innovation. People will just go, who did you watch the Olympics with? Oh, with my cousin. What are you talking about? Like, it just goes deeper in. It's, it's remarkable. I think it reveals one of them was, what did you think of this Swiss, uh, the Swiss skier who got their tongue caught in the chairlift medal? And, uh, and they're like, the guy's like, dude, it was priceless. I mean, it was, it was like Christmas story all over. Unbelievable. People will lie uh, for no reason, no good reason. They will just lie on the spot. Sometimes they'll start with a, um, well, uh, But sometimes they just charge boldly in. And I think it illustrates, amongst other things, two human instincts. One of them is self-confidence and the other is self-preservation. At times we have very strong opinions. Why? Uh, Not not for any other reason than that we don't want to look dumb. We don't want to look ill-informed. We don't want to look weak. Let's let's have some, some transparency here, right? There's there is that operating underneath. And as it pertains to self-preservation, we often do not doubt ourselves. We will lie straight faced 
to save face. We will lie. We will even double down on a lie from time to time. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to point any fingers. Last, last Lord's Day, I confessed uh, my own struggle with the truth. Our frailties and our inconsistencies, it marks the lives of even the people that we would say are the best of people. Right? We, we talked about that last week. We talked about it was St. Peter, the apostle. He is the one who said, just with the rest of the disciples, it'll be over my dead body. I'll go to prison, but I won't deny you, Jesus. And what happens? What happens? Well, we just read it. It's in chapter 22. Luke records it. Peter's self-confidence is exposed. It's like, it's like the lie witness news camera gets shoved into his face when he's in that, in that courtyard. And the little servant girl comes up and says, you're one of his followers, aren't you? And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. And of course, he denies Jesus a second time. And sometime after that, a third time. And what happens? The very thing that Jesus said would happen, because his word always holds true, that as the rooster crows, he denies Jesus for the third time. And Luke is the only gospel account that records that it was Jesus, who I presumably was being carried you know, in his trial across to a different room. At that very moment, it says that they have a glance of eyes. Remember we said that? We covered this last week. They met eyes. Jesus at that very moment with Peter who had denied him for the third time. And we don't know what the content or the feel or the... We don't know what was conveyed in that glance. But we said it last week. Whatever it was, it was the beginning of his restoration. It was the beginning of healing and forgiveness. Because he was restored. Peter was. And that's what we said last week. Frailties and human insecurities and inconsistencies. Friends, failure is never in the gospel of Jesus. Failure is never the final word. It's never the final word. Christ shows us again and again his true character, his unique compassion. And he is right now under the spot of which is a, a, a human trial, the greatest of which anyone could fathom, the greatest that anyone has ever known. He's been arrested already. He's been mocked. He's been beaten. He's been questioned by the high priest. Uh, he's already had a, a, a kind of thrown together religious trial with even false witnesses waiting in the wings. And then this week, we're now going to pick up where he is going to face a, a civil trial. They have to involve the Roman authorities, their governing body, so that uh, they can establish some legitimacy in taking Jesus out. That's their plan. They don't really care about justice. They just want their agenda served. The Roman Empire, of course, is glad to put people to death. That was not uh, uncommon for them at all. So I know you just sat down, but let me invite you to stand one more time as we read God's word together to show honor to him. This is Luke... Chapter 23, hear this, verse 1. This is the word of God. Then the whole company of them, that is the Jewish leaders, arose and brought Jesus, him, before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ as king. And Pilate asked, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priest and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying he stirs up the people, teaching all throughout Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction. 
He sent over to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he had made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him with splendid clothing, they sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I do not find this man guilty or any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection, started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they had asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. This is God's word. Uh, let's give thanks to him. You may be seated. Father, we give thanks to you. We acknowledge that you created us. You have sustained us. Uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, you have preserved your word down through the ages uh, as an inspired text that would help our faith. Help it now. Every soul in this room, we pray through Christ. Amen. We see it on the news. There are trials at times. There are, uh, there are juries. There's cross-examinations. There's... Um, we, we get fascinated. I do, at least. I, I, I wanted to go to law school, and I was a political science major, but God had different plans, obviously. Um, we're, deeply set, we're deeply intrigued by uh, these details, the rebuttal, the jury, the outcome, a trial of injustice in the face of pure innocence. Well, that's, that's happened before, but nothing of this, th- there's nothing that we could possibly imagine or have seen or read in the history of the world as what the gospel writers confirm here, that Jesus uh, was so innocent and yet scourged and beaten and treated this way so unjustly. Even the way that he was beaten before the cross would have been enough uh, for some Roman criminals to die before they reached crucifixion. Who and what stands out here? Well, I think three things are kind of operating here, and it kind of is going to frame our, our brief look at the text. And they're listed there in the order of service. The first thing that we see is innocence. The second is cowardice. And the last thing is injustice. Uh, So so first of all, Pilate was the prefect. We we, we know, we hear Pilate's name. We we say it regularly in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in Pontius Pilate. uh, Not because we trust him, but we we believe that he was a historic figure. Of course, Josephus, the the Jewish historian, uh, confirms many of these details. Uh, he was the governor of Judea, the province of the Roman Empire under Caesar. Uh, we remember uh, you know, his name, like I mentioned. Uh, he is, uh, he's there, the Jewish leaders in verse 1, they come in, and, uh, and they have three accusations. They have three charges to bring uh, against Jesus. They want Pilate to 
to be the one ultimately responsible for killing Jesus. And that is to protect them from any outrage and to protect them from disrupting, uh, you know, the Passover, which is the feast and the celebration going on at that time in the holy city of Jerusalem. But they... They, they, they suggest in other Gospels, you know, we, we need you to put. He's like, what am I doing dealing with this, Pilate? They say, well, Pilate, you have to. We can't put, you know, we can't put a criminal to death. But that's not true. That is not accurate. If you go back and you look over the, 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 the history, uh, you would see that, of course, uh, there was a there was a time uh, even earlier back in the Gospel of of Luke that Jesus is uh, almost thrown off a cliff in his hometown of Nazareth. And then later we know that Jesus was the one who came to the defense of a woman that they were going to stone to death because she was an adulterer. And recall, you know, of course, you know, the, 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 this is just to, to think that, you know, Stephen months from I mean, years from now, they're going to take his life and stone him in the, uh, the continuation that Luke records in the book of Acts. So the Jews have put plenty of people to death. It's just that they want, uh, like I said, to do this in a way that doesn't, uh, you know, look bad for them, doesn't cause uprise. But of course, it's the sovereignty of God that does this. It's the sovereign care who had ordained Christ's death before the foundation of the earth. There was there was this this notion that, you know, that was already planted, as we have, re- have read, even have told in Psalm 22, this messianic psalm, King David. Think of this. Hundreds of years before there was even a thing called crucifixion. King David writes this of the future Messiah. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. And that all is unfolding and coming to bear. That's who they are. That's who they want. Pilate wants to keep people happy. So he commences with the trial. But notice he doesn't take up all the charges. All three of the charges. Because you know. Some of them are just outright false. Jesus never misled anyone. He only spoke the truth. And it's ridiculous to say that Jesus wouldn't let them. You know give tribute to Caesar. We read this a couple of chapters ago in Luke 20. It said clearly Jesus said. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. And to God what is God's. Jesus never declared himself as king, as a threat to Rome. Furthermore, it should be noted that none of these charges were the very reason that they were going to kill him over at the Sanhedrin. The religious leaders wanted to have him killed because of blasphemy. Now, do you think that the Romans have a problem with blasphemy? Of course they don't. I mean, even Caesar himself claimed to be divine. So that's not a problem. No, they have brought charges of sedition and treason and rebellion that he is going to try to, to stir up because they need the Romans and Pilate to take his life. To this question, are you the king? Notice Jesus gives him a non-answer in verse 3, right? It is as you say so. Then Peter, excuse me, then Pilate hears the question and he hears the mention of Galilee and he has a clever idea. Oh, great, this will be my way out to kind of sidestep a little bit of the culpability. I'll involve Herod in this because he's a Galilean further north. I'll bring in Herod to examine him and, uh, and then he can share some of the responsibility. Herod happens to be in the city and questions him. Luke's the only one who mentions Herod's name. Why is that? Well, I think it's because Luke has a particular view uh, he's establishing yet another voice, another layer of this interrogation that would clearly establish what we cannot deny. And that is that Luke wants us to see in this text that Jesus is innocent. 
I mean, even in, even in this short passage that we just read, not less than four times does it say, we have found this man not guilty, innocent. Luke, even in his ingenious way, has constructed a, a, a story to shine the light on the fact that two of these religious leaders, pagan, excuse me, not religious, civil leaders uh, are pagans, hardened pagans, are going to declare that innocence. Two men, honestly, think about this. For Herod and Pilate, they could have cared less. And, and they have nothing to gain by saying, look, this man is innocent. Both proclaim that Jesus did not deserve to die. Look at verse 15. What's it say? Neither did Herod, for he was sent to us, he sent us back to him. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. We're going to release him. So that, that, that's the theme. It's innocence and innocence and innocence. The character of Jesus, undeserving of this. The second thing that we see here is cowardice. What motivates, what guides Pontius Pilate? In, other gospel, in another gospel account, Pilate's wife has this horrible dream. And she even says, don't deal with Jesus. Don't sentence him. But what then motivates him? Ultimately, here we see it's partly a love of power, a, a fear of man. He doesn't want to have to deal with unrest or have things reflect upon him poorly. Even though he was amazed, deeply amazed by Jesus, and persuaded of Jesus' innocence, he still is moving forward with this. Nevertheless, verse 23 through 25 says this is what we'll do. What does he obey? He delivers them over, verse 25, According to whose will? The angry, loud crowd. Both Pilate, both Pilate and Herod are ultimately, even in the face of truth, even in the face of what is about to be a a horrible injustice, are cowards. Luke is calling us here as he sets this up for us too to choose sides. As one New Testament scholar, Daryl Bach, writes, Luke outlines a variety of responses to Jesus. But failure to embrace him, whether through active rejection, passive neglect, or frivolous reaction, is not commendable. Herod, similar to Pilate in verse 8, is very glad to meet Jesus. He had been intrigued. He had heard the details. He wants to know more about Jesus. He'd like to see one of Jesus's uh, miracles. Yeah, cool, I get to meet Jesus, Herod says to himself. It's it's just like, remember the the guards who came to arrest Jesus and and Peter lops off one of their ears and uh, then Jesus just, you know, picks it up and heals his ear. And I'm thinking to myself, I said this already. You know, it's at that point they should have said, I think we got the wrong guy. I don't know. I mean, like, if something tells me this guy has some authority, some legitimacy, and we're arresting the wrong person. I don't know. Maybe it was dark. Maybe not that many people could see him. But yet people did see the miracles of Jesus and still rejected him. So it wasn't for Jesus' silence here and his lack of miracles that Herod didn't want to believe him. Herod wanted to sleep around. Herod wanted to do Herod's thing. Herod wanted to be king. He doesn't want Jesus to be the king. So much to say that he was interested, to say that Pilate was amazed by Jesus. It's almost like a commentary on our present day modern culture. In some ways, it's the same way. What do I mean? 
At best, people are apathetic towards Jesus. At worst, they're antagonistic. But let's face it. I mean, we, we live at a time, and maybe you could argue this has always been the, way, the, the case. The world is uneasy with the true person, the true ministry and message of Jesus. Every one of us, and I, and I do mean that, every one of us, in our own sinful self-dependence, our self-preservation, has the capacity to resist the king and his authority. Or distance ourselves from being Christ the king's disciples. We'll even do stuff. We'll even do stuff like overlook obvious injustice. Because we're seeking to please people. Where do you stand? Pilate and and, uh, Herod both illustrate that you can be thinking rather highly of Jesus and quite interested in him, but not truly surrendered by faith. Is that you? This shows that there's a difference between being amazed with Jesus and truly surrendering your life to him. Innocence, cowardice, lastly we see here injustice. Verse 18, the crowd makes a selection. They, they cry out and scream, away with this man, Jesus, and release to us Barabbas. I couldn't understand that as a young man. Um, but later I got the historical context that evidently this was a custom. That, that the prefect would, from time to time during the feast would allow for a, a prisoner to be released. So they say, hey, look, you take this guy, you take Jesus. What a mockery. Then you, you take this other guy, Barabbas, and you release him. Verse 19, this is a truly guilty man. I mean, you want to talk about the opposite. We know very little about Barabbas, but he was the one who was supposed to be crucified between those two criminals. Think about that. He's the one. He, he knew it. I, I, we'd all love to hear the rest of that guy's story, right? I, I'd love to believe that he became a follower of Jesus, understand the gravity of what happened. A vile thief and a murderer exchange now for the prince of peace, the king of glory, the giver of life. That was Pilate's question. Which one do you want? Do you want this filthy, you know, deserving criminal or do you want this innocent giver of life and peace, the king of glory? Well, they don't see it that way, right? They don't, they're not going to like juxtapose it or, you know, describe it that way. No, their sin has deceived them. Our sin deceives us. The Jewish leaders were trying to persuade the crowd, the gospel of Matthew says, to get them to ask for, <clears throat> excuse me, Barabbas. We look at Pilate's cowardice Let's be honest. We look at his cowardice. One of my friends, Brian, uh, who's a pastor, he says, whenever you're listening to a a story in the Gospels, the best thing to do is to locate the person that is the or the party who is the most undesirable and say, how am I more like them than not like them? And so I would just challenge us to think about this for a moment. We look at we look at the cowardice of Pilate in this moment and his his overlooking of injustice. And we're disgusted by the crowd who's angrily chanting, crucify Jesus. But again, we're assuming at that moment, 
we would not, having been there ourselves, would not have done or said the same thing. Jesus is on trial now in the court of public opinion, and they want him gone, done, dead. They are deceived by sin and self, and we can be too. I know that Jack uh, read a prayer from uh, the British uh, pastor Charles Spurgeon. I've got another one. It's fairly long, but it's based off of this very account. The same thing is put before you this morning. The very same thing. And every unregenerate man will make the same choice that the Jews did. And only men renewed by grace will act upon contrary principle. I say, friend, this day I put before you Christ Jesus or your sin. The reason why many come not to Christ is because they cannot give up their lusts, their pleasures, their profits. Sin is Barabbas. Sin is a thief. It will rob your life of its life. It will rob God of his glory. Sin is a murderer. It stabbed your father, Adam. It slew our purity. Sin is a, tra- is a traitor. It rebels against the king of heaven and earth. If you prefer sin to Christ, Christ has stood at your tribunal and you have given in your verdict that sin is better than Christ. In John chapter 19, it records that Pilate says, uh, shall I crucify your king? And they say, we have no king but Caesar. But what they're really saying is, we're fine being the king of our own story in life. And we'll choose who we give honor and praise to. Whatever serves our purposes. What, my friends, will you choose? And I don't mean some... Epic trial, cameras on you, spotlight. It's, you know, I'm not talking about some major event. I'm just talking about the crossroads of conscience. Will you choose Jesus? Or will you choose sin? I'm speaking to myself. We know what is right. We know what is good and true and, and honorable and loving. But the, the allurement, the deceitfulness of sin... Peer pressure. No one sets out this way, but materialism comes in. Sexual compromise, gossip, greed. We know this. It's influences and we decide not to swim against, but with the stream and current. Then the crowds are cheering. Let's go in this direction. And we say, sure, why not? We choose that which pleases ourselves and not what honors Christ. We have the capacity to mock his authority To disregard his promises, his truth, his warnings, even his love. I'll admit that for me. Happy Mother's Day. Well, wasn't that just so uplifting? (laughs) Well, children, be sure to be nice to mom. And dads, don't forget to do the dishes. Goodbye. Amen. Let's pray. But there's good news here. My desire is for us to see good news come into focus when we consider the release of Barabbas. We don't view sin as murdering. We don't view it as Spurgeon described, a thief, a deceiver. No, we, 
We, we, don't, we don't view ourselves as Barabbas or in that light or in that way. They're clever in comparative ways that we do this, right? We love to hear of other people's dark, you know, secret deeds. We, we're, we almost have a, a small way of smiling when we hear about other people's failings. And it makes us feel better about ourselves. I, I, I know. There are moments that we gaze on the profound offenses of other people and not for the right reasons. We compare ourselves, we even deceive ourselves out of the notion that we have sinned, that we have been held in bondage to sin, that we ourselves, because of our sin, so clearly told in Scripture, puts us underneath God's condemnation, a problem we can't fix. Doesn't matter how many prayers you pray, how many times you do religious duties, doesn't matter how your good intentions, it doesn't matter. You cannot pay for the grace of God. That's what we call it, grace and mercy. It's not our reward. There's a dramatic irony here, of course. Luke, no doubt, wants us to see it. They're they're mocking Jesus right now. They're accusing him of blasphemy when, in fact, they are guilty. And we can be, too. We're we're even with them. That's like the least. That's like the worst person in the, the person who's the one smacking Jesus. That's the person we don't want to identify with. But we blaspheme God. We worship other counterfeit, lesser gods, little g. The drama here is how Barabbas is pardoned because of an exchange, a a substitution. How we, how he Barabbas, but how we also, though guilty, were granted amnesty. Pardoned, released, forgiven. Through Jesus, through Jesus, our substitute. He has taken our place. He was taking our guilt upon himself. He died that we might live. He was tortured that we might be made free, ultimately. Isaiah 53. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grieve when his soul makes no offering for guilt out of the anguish psalm 53:11 the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant make many to be accounted righteousness and he shall bear their iniquities this is not cosmic child abuse okay this is not just the father this is the father and the son god the father god the son agreeing to this this is jesus Of his own volition, of his own will, verse 35. Later we'll see that. It's it's his own will. It's his own that come down to Jesus and you will be saved. It's never a question of ability. Jesus could have called for angels to be released from the burden of all that in a moment's notice. But he does it willfully, freely. They say to him, you could have saved others, save yourself. And he doesn't. In closing, I just want to return to the parties, right? The people, the parties here. Obviously, there's the the governing authorities. There's Pilate and Herod. These cowardly uh, men who who love power and they fear man. And then there's the crowds. Yes, there's contempt. There's mockery. There's rejection. Even though they're the ones who are guilty, not Jesus. We're the ones with that crowd. The prisoner, Barabbas, is released And to his complete and utter shock, he has a substitute. So there are the three parties. Did I miss anyone? 
Jesus. Oh, that's right. He doesn't talk. Jesus, his silence here. He was questioned at length. He didn't say anything. Why is that? He is before the highest court possible, facing death, and he says nothing. Why is Jesus silent? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus entrusts himself to a higher court. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. By his wounds, we have been healed. Friends, fellow sinners, we are not innocent. Jesus is. Jesus is not a prisoner of a Roman governor. He's the servant of the Most High God, of the Father, a just judge who punishes Christ and then releases all and any, anyone, anyone who would repent and believe and trust him as Lord and Savior. That can be you this day. Oh God, make it fresh to our ears, this, this song, this gospel, good news song of amnesty. We are the guilty ones. And he declares amnesty. Jesus is saying, come, come uniquely. No one else says and delivers on this. Come, have your sins forgiven. It is paid for with my life, my death, my resurrection. Join me in prayer. Father, would you please now use your word to accomplish uh, your kingdom purposes? We confess that uh, you are the innocent king and you have pled for our forgiveness Father, forgive them, you said, and we ask for forgiveness as well for our ne- neglect, our pride, our apathy, our denial. Lord, would you expose the ways that we deceive ourselves, that we are just so glued to our own self-preservation, self-reliance, self-serving ways. Lord, free us from that. Forgive us that we might walk in light and hope and the righteousness of Christ our King. Give us clarity, Lord, about our sin. Give us clarity about your salvation. Make us a community of people who believe and trust and communicate that song of amnesty in all of our areas and callings. We are grateful today that we can call you our creator. Thank you for loving us so much that you adopted us into a family. I pray you'd guide us away from loving and serving ourselves to loving and for for serving others. Lord, I thank you today. We thank you today for mothers. What, what instruments that you have appointed in our lives. We've, we've heard testimony of that. Lord, we, we, will, we will delight in that. Bless mothers, Lord, today with strength and joy in their calling. I pray that you'd give mothers faith in your promises. We thank you, God, for a mother's love. We especially are grateful for mothers and grandmothers who've helped uh, to nurture our faith. And Lord, we also lift up and we remember those uh, who grieve today. We, we, want, we want it to be a time and day of celebration, but at times it's, it's, it's grief that sneaks up on us. There are people for various reasons. They're missing their mothers. There's, there's people who grieve the loss of their children. 
There are some who quietly grieve because they long to be mothers. Lord, I pray that you would shower your mercy. I pray that people would be drawn to abide in Christ and find strength and bear fruit, even if they find themselves in a valley. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the great faithfulness we're about to sing of. We pray in Jesus' good name and together as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come.